John, lead pastor, Noel Peepcrass. Welcome to the Exeter Valley Church podcast. Our church plan started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. We'd love to have you join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in our historic building at 218 Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. This morning, uh, our theme is the justice of Jesus, the servant Lord. Uh, You saw our passage there in Matthew 12. Why do I have this pen? I'm not going to write anything. What comes to your mind when you think of justice? Just think about the word justice. What comes to mind when you think of justice? Maybe uh, you think of the Justice League. Those are superheroes, right? I'm not a big superhero guy, but I know there's a thing called the Justice League, and it's not a sports league. I know that much. Maybe you think of uh, the Supreme Court uh, justice or justices, right? Uh, The position of Supreme Court justice. Or um, maybe you think of social justice. Heard a lot about social justice recently, haven't we? I know I found myself thinking quite a bit about social justice. You know, is is it just me or has justice become almost a bit of a swear word in our culture today? Sadly, I would say that justice has become a bit of a hot button term. I was telling the guys in small group uh, at the very beginning, there's a, there's a chapter in our study labeled justice, and I felt the need to give a disclaimer, like, don't worry, this guy's not woke, you know, he, he's like really, you know, mainline Christian, Tim Keller, you can trust him. He wrote this in 2010, you know, justice really meant justice in 2010. <laughs> it don't, don't get worried, you know. But just the fact that I, I felt like I had to give that disclaimer, it says something maybe about kind of the climate that we're swimming in, doesn't it? And it, it kind of stinks that justice has become a term embroiled and disfigured by uh, American culture wars. So let's take a look at, at what Webster's Dictionary says justice is. According to uh, Webster's Dictionary, justice is the quality of being fair and reasonable. And, uh, you know, that desire for fairness, it's like innate in us, isn't it? I don't think you have to teach the desire for fairness, do you? Anyone that has younger kids... You can relate. My daughter, Esther, she knows about justice. She is nine years old, and she has known for a long time that there is fair and there is not fair. And when things are not going her way, it's not fair, right? That's what she'll say. She knows that there is, there is such a thing as justice. This idea of fairness, is, it's innate. It's, it's within us. You don't have to learn it. We have a desire for it, and I think that's part of the reason why it's such a hot topic right now. There's a deep desire in our hearts to have justice, to have fairness. Well, in today's passage, we're going to take a look at the justice, not of the world, but the justice of Jesus. And uh, that's probably, he's probably a pretty decent model for justice, (laughs) wouldn't you think? You're at church on a Sunday morning. Hopefully you're here for a little bit of Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus as our model for justice this morning. We've been studying Matthew's chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapters 11 and 12. And in these chapters, we're encountering six different portraits of Jesus. Matthew is trying hard to tell a, a mostly Jewish audience that Jesus is the Messiah that you've been waiting for. So we've seen Jesus as the Messiah We've, uh, we've seen Jesus the Messiah that many missed, and others, like John the Baptist, doubted even. We've seen uh, Jesus the judge who proclaimed woes, right? Woe to you, 
uh, is what he said to these unrepentant towns in Israel. We've seen Jesus the Savior who uh, bids the weary and the burdened to come to him and receive rest. We've seen uh, Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath. Last week we talked about Sabbath. Mike Young was here, did a great job encouraging us to receive the mercy of God in Sabbath practice. But one of the key characteristics of Jesus that we're going to start to notice more and more as we move ahead in the Gospel of Matthew is the Jesus who faces controversies. Controversial Jesus. The guy who takes on hard subjects. In fact, the last passage actually ended with one of these controversies. The, 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 uh, verse 14 in the Sabbath passage, uh, in that verse, we learned that the Pharisees were so upset at Jesus healing this man on the Sabbath that they began plotting to kill him. That's a controversy right there. If a controversy ends with a plot to kill, you've got a real controversy. I hate to say it, but in my house, there's been a couple controversies between my kids that may have ended with plots to kill. I'm going to kill you. No, you can't say that. That's what you say when you've got a real controversy on your hands, isn't it? So things are pretty hot right here in this section of Matthew. Uh, they're, they're reaching a boiling point, or at least the crescendo is starting. And we have ourselves a chance to take a look at what we can learn from Jesus about Justice, And here we see, faced with controversy, these Pharisees plotting to kill him, our Messiah makes a move. But is it the move that we would expect from our Savior, the Messiah, the one that's come to set us free? Is it the move our justice-hungry culture would anticipate? So let's take a look. The first two verses, verse 15 in this passage, it says, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Withdrawal. Backing away. Jesus, when confronted with the Pharisees' hatred, chose to flee. The Messiah ran. He avoided conflict. He avoided the fight. Shouldn't a Savior stand up for himself? Shouldn't a Savior come and stand against these people who are oppressing his people? What about boldness? What about proclaiming the truth? What about standing up for what's right? How come Jesus didn't do that? And then we see that he's withdrawn, the second part of verse 15. It says, a large crowd follow him. A large crowd followed him. Jesus was like the, the, the greatest influencer of all time. I wonder what his Instagram or YouTube subscribership would have looked like. So a large crowd follows Jesus, and what does he do? It says he heals them. Does he heal some of them? No, he heals all of them. The heart of Jesus, you've got to see the heart of Jesus to heal all. When you think about Jesus and justice, you've got to see his heart to heal everything, everyone. Jesus has a heart for justice, even the unfairness of affliction. Not just social issues, but affliction is a type of justice that Jesus came to bring. And so Jesus, the crowd gatherer, he, he just couldn't pass up an opportunity to heal all who were ill. This, this gives such a beautiful picture of the justice of Jesus, the Messiah who restores the afflictions of the broken. And in these healings of Jesus, we've already been seeing the way that he came to inaugurate his kingdom here on earth. But then... Verse 16, the plot takes another turn. The healing Jesus is expected. We like the healing Jesus. We seek after the healing Jesus. That's the Messiah that we're all about. 
So you'd think that he would really get loud and proud about these healings right about now, right? But was that Jesus' way? No. And so he, he, in verse 16, he warns them. He says, don't tell anybody what I've done. Jesus chooses silence, not a PR campaign, but instead a, a subversive shadow movement. Shouldn't a Messiah be on the advance? How is it that a Messiah would choose to be hidden rather than known? Our Messiah's form, uh, form of elaborate public relations, uh, I'm sorry, our Messiah's, the Messiah's we would construct, they would form like an elaborate public relations team, wouldn't they? You got to get the word out. <clears throat> Look what's happening, right? To herald their message, to craft their image, to gather a crowd. But not Jesus. Jesus heals them all. And then he, he orders them to remain silent about it. So here we have this picture of a retreating Messiah who's trying to keep hidden the reality of his movement. And this is the justice of Jesus. And again, is this what you think of when you think of justice? I mean, come on, Jesus. The Pharisees are missing the point. Their ways are burdening your people with an unjust, with an unjust yoke. Aren't you going to do something about it? Aren't you going to rise up? This is what the people were expecting. Isn't this in our hearts what we're expecting? Jesus, do something about the injustice that we see, the injustice that we experience in our world today. And I think the angst of the social justice movement is related to this desire, this innate desire in our hearts to see fairness, to see restoration. There's, there's something in us that just tells us something is not right. Will somebody do something about it? Which leads me to the question that I was swimming with all week. Like, why, Jesus? Why? Why these methods? Why didn't you come with more strength, Jesus? Why didn't you come on a white horse, sword in hand? I thought that's the way you were going to show up, Jesus. To right away free all the captives, uh, you know, give sight to the blind. What about those verses in the Old Testament? So what's Jesus up to with these methods? If we go to verse 17, we quickly get our answer. It says in verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. You've probably uh, heard of Isaiah. <clears throat> Isaiah, one of the prophets of the Old Testament, wrote a nice long prophetic book, really powerful. Uh, this quotation specifically is from Isaiah 42. Uh, did you know this is actually the longest uh, quotation of the Old Testament in the, that we see in the New Testament? So of all the Old Testament quotations that we see, of which there are many in the New Testament, this is the longest one. It doesn't even seem that long. It's four verses. Uh, the, the purpose of the quote's location is to summarize or give like a mid-gospel, a mid-book review of Jesus' whole entire mission. His mission of justice, to bring about redemption, restoration of the perfect world God intended. In verse 18, we see uh, the first or the start of this uh, quote from Isaiah. So it's actually Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, that Matthew is quoting here in verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. It says this in verse 18, Here is my ser servant whom I have chosen, Jesus, the one I love, in whom I delight. <clears throat> I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations 
If you've been here a little bit, maybe you remember Matthew 3. <clears throat> Excuse me. This, uh, this, this first verse here, verse 18, it, it harkens back to Matthew 18 and the baptism of Jesus. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's what, G- that's what God the Father said, right? At the baptism of Jesus. And his spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, it says. So here we see the servant son, the one in whom I've chosen, is what God says about Jesus. And we saw, we saw also in Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7, that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus came to proclaim justice. He came to proclaim, to say it, to teach it, to pray it. Remember, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Justice for the poor, for the afflicted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And on and on it goes. You, you remember the Beatitudes. Verse 19 says this about Jesus, again referencing Isaiah. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. Here we see the silent Jesus. Why is Matthew going to this passage? He's trying to point back, remember, and convince the people Jesus is the Messiah that you heard about from the Old Testament prophets. And he's saying here, look, look at Isaiah 42, you guys. This is the Messiah that you've been waiting for. He's God's servant, God's son. He's got the Spirit of God on him. He's already been proclaiming justice to the nations. He's not going to quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. It's not that he could never or would never speak out. I mean, we've seen that in just these last verses. It's not that Jesus never spoke out. It's not that he never engaged controversy. He will stand up. And he's willing to correct a controversy. But he seems to prefer silence. This is the gentle and humble Jesus of Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's a servant chosen of God to administer justice to the nations. In verse 20, it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. What is a bruised reed? What is a smoldering wick, right? I've got an idea what a smoldering wick is. Think of a faint candle about to go out. A bruised reed is like a a damaged plant. So these are evidently pictures of the vulnerable. Jesus is the savior of uh, failures and little peoples. He came for the poor in spirit. He came for those who mourn. Jesus, the servant king, he's not come to cause a scene or start a riot. Jesus has not come to take out the weak amongst us. Instead, he's partnered with the weak. This is the way of Jesus and his justice, to partner with the weak, to work and use the vulnerable A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. This is the humility and the gentleness of Jesus. Jesus' messianic movement does not involve the rallying of leaders, the rallying of the elite. He's not picking the ones that we might choose on our dodgeball team. Rather, Jesus' movement has looked upon the lowly. Remember the end of chapter 11. Matthew's Jesus has just proclaimed his salvation. And who does he proclaim it to? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Who gets salvation? The weary, the burdened, the bruised reed, the smoldering wick. 
wait, uh, what? Can that be right? This doesn't seem like the greatest plan, Jesus. You should pick some better players for your team, right? Your method of silence and like subversiveness, it's like, really? Again, where's the white horse and the sword, Jesus? Where's the, uh, the army from heaven, the powerful angels? <clears throat> but as we know from Scripture, the, uh, the wisdom of God is often foolishness to man, isn't it? The, the, uh, the wisdom of the cross is foolishness to man. It looks like losing. It looks like weakness. God's wisdom at times. Bruner, uh, Dale Frederick Bruner, one of the... Uh, I've been reading this thick commentary by a guy named Dale Frederick Bruner, so I'm, I'm quoting him here. He says this about Jesus' justice methods. Jesus' method, clear to the end, will be the method of quiet revolution. Jesus' justice is quiet. We might prefer a boycott. We might prefer a riot, maybe picketing in the streets. But what will be the end of this nonviolent, silent Messiah? What will be the end? Verse 20, the last part of verse 20 says, He will not be finished until he's brought justice through to victory. His justice will have the final victory. There's victory for justice in Jesus. So what's the result of this victory to come? Verse 21, it says, in his name, the nations, the world. In some translations, I love it, it says, all the islands. I thought that was funny, not sure why. NIV said islands. I'm like, seriously, islands. In his name, the world will put their hope in him. The world will put their hope in the name of Jesus. The ultimate victory of the justice for which we're longing, you guys, is Jesus. Ultimately, though he can and he will use world leaders, it's not a mayor, it's not a principal, it's not a president, it's not a teacher, it's not a pastor or a coach who will ultimately bring about justice. In fact, we'll ultimately be disappointed in every worldly leader, won't we be? We'll see them fall at one time or another, good or bad, mostly good, mostly bad, somewhere on that range. It doesn't matter, be it Trump or Biden or Newsom or Rice or insert, I just got political, didn't I? Insert whoever else you want to put. Imagine the greatest president that comes to mind. Even that leader won't bring about the ultimate justice that Jesus brings. Matthew's saying justice will come. Jesus will deliver the victory, and it brings great hope to the entire world. Our leaders will ultimately bring discouragement, frustration, anger, potentially wrath, and rioting. But Jesus and his justice brings hope to the entire world. And that's why we don't gather this morning behind the name of any political leader. We gather this morning under the name of Jesus, and we trust in his perfect justice, even when it doesn't make sense to us, even when it looks like the world's going to hell in a handbasket. We trust in Jesus. Amen? Amen. There we go. So the next question that I found myself wondering all week was like, like, what's to come? Is this it? It can be a little bit disappointing when, when you don't see Jesus bring about right now, in the here and now, the justice that you're hoping for. 
So why not? And so to help us understand this, this seeming paradox where, where we have this, this Jesus who's here to bring justice, but yet it seems like he's silent, like he's retreating half the time. Like, why didn't he take out the Pharisees? Why did he let them kill him and take his life? There's a paradox here, right, between the, the Jesus who brings about our ultimate justice and the Jesus who seems to be in retreat mode sometimes or seems to be a little bit silent. Uh, my friend Glenn Power, who I've also uh, <laughs> relied upon a little bit for, uh, for this sermon, he's, he's a, a friend at Radiant Church. He's super, like, wicked smart, uh, knows the Bible inside and out, full of the Spirit of God. And uh, my friend Glenn and I were talking, uh, and he, he was telling me that first century rabbis would, uh, would, would quote from the Old Testament, but instead of reading the entire passage, because maybe that would get really long or whatever, what they would try to do is, is point you to the entire passage. So, so Glenn was telling me that probably what Matthew was trying to do is not just have you focus on these four verses from Isaiah 42, but to have you focus on the bigger story in Isaiah 42. So to understand this idea of Jesus, whose justice is like partially here now, but hopefully coming later in ultimate victory, we got to take a look at the whole passage, Isaiah 42. So let's peek down, Isaiah 42. Gunnar, I think I have these slides. So verses 1 through 4 is the section that Matthew is quoting, okay? But that's not the end of the story. There's a bit of a turn in uh, verse 9. And so Isaiah 42, 13 through 14 really gets to the other side of Jesus' justice. I want to I take us there right now because the servant Jesus becomes a soldier in his second coming. So let's read it. The, the Lord, um, let's see. The Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior. He will stir up his zeal with a shout. Wait a minute. That's, that's like a little different than the Jesus that was just described, isn't it? We got a warrior? He's shouting? He's like uh, raising the battle cry? Just before this, he was retreating in silence. And it said he, he wasn't going to cry out. So you see, we got these two pictures of Jesus. We have Jesus in his first coming. We're studying that in Matthew. And we long for Jesus in his second coming. The servant Messiah in Matthew will one day be the soldier Messiah that we see uh, prophesied here. It reminded me of a passage in the book of Revelation. Uh, chapter 19. Gunnar, you can go to the next slide. Chapter 19, 11 through 16. This is the ultimate Jesus. The Jesus that will come one day to judge the living and the dead and to ultimately bring about justice, fairness on this earth. I saw heaven, John says, standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he, Jesus, judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Oh, man. And his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of, Lord of Lords. That's an awesome thigh tattoo right there. <laughs> King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
This is Jesus in his second coming, the Jesus that we look forward to, the Jesus that will finish justice once and for all. In Matthew, we see servant Jesus, the servant Lord, humble and gentle. He's bringing about justice, yes, but there's still something left to come. At the end of time, we're going to see soldier Jesus coming back. And what is he coming back to do? He's coming back to restore the earth, to restore the creation, to bring about the new heavens and the new earth, the utopia that our hearts are longing for, where there's nothing but justice for all at all times. This is what Jesus will one day come to do, to restore all things to their rightful place. And we can try as hard as we want to bring about this utopia by politics, government, organizations, nonprofits, riots, pickets, education. But ultimately, it's only Jesus that will bring all things to redemption. It says in Revelation 21, I, I love this passage, uh, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Gunnar, you can go to this slide, actually. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning. Imagine, no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne, that's Jesus, he said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, John, it is done. It is done. It is finished. The ultimate victory is done at the second coming of Jesus. This is the justice that your hearts are longing for. It will come in Jesus when he comes again. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost, from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is the ultimate victory that Jesus will bring. This is the hope that all nations can hold on to. Jesus is coming again. And so as we live in this tension between the, the already accomplished work of Jesus and the not yet accomplished work of Jesus, what do we hold on to? We hold on to hope. We hold on to hope in the perfect justice of Jesus. So where do you find yourself today? What's in your heart? What comes up when you think about justice? Are you, are you broken? Some of you are maybe broken by injustice committed against you. I believe this morning there's, there's some in here who've had injustice committed against them and you're feeling broken the justice of Jesus is here for you this morning. He'd bid you, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and he'll give you rest. Maybe some of you are weeping for the wrongs that you see in the world. You look out your window every morning and see things that just aren't right, and you're wondering, what the heck? What is going on? Maybe some of you are on like a personal mission to conquer evil and see justice in the streets. I, I don't know exactly where you're at this morning, but what I do know is that Jesus, God the Father, has put in our hearts a desire for justice, a desire for fairness, a desire for things to be made right. C.S. Lewis says this, 
Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you this morning, you were made for another world. And this is why our hearts long for justice. So this morning as we close, I want to offer you the justice of Jesus. It may seem slow to come, and I would just remind you that that God's never late. He's always on time. It's us who got to get on his schedule. But either way, the justice of Jesus is here for you today. We receive it in his forgiveness of sins, and we look forward to it in his second coming. Let's pray.